0: Hello and welcome to "What About Us," a podcast that looks at how policies, history, and culture affect rural Tennesseans. I'm the host, Sandy Rice, and I am part of the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. Go to tnholler.com to check out all the shows, sign up for the newsletter, and make a donation. As the Holler is people power. Also, see if your city has a Twitter and Facebook Holler discussing issues closer to your home base. Our topic today is the proposed federal voting legislation for the People Act and what it could mean for us Tennessee voters. My guest is Christopher Hale, who people in Congressional District 4 know very well. He campaigned hard to be our House Representative in 2018 and 2020. The time just wasn't right, was it, Chris? Maybe some. No,
1: one day, <laughs> God willing, one day. So you, the people of Tennessee, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come back at some point down the road. So I, I, I but not yet. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. Well, welcome and thank you for coming. Tell us what you've been up to. Um, it's been a, it's been a great,
1: uh, it's been a great 2021. Um, I, I split my past few years between uh, Tennessee and uh, Washington DC, and I recently we uh, re- re- relocated to Washington DC. Again, staying involved in the fight for democratic politics. Um, a few things that I can say um, that I'm working on is we are working on the 2022 elections coming up, and um, I'm working to ensure that we have uh, good democratic candidates um, for United States Senate and House seats. Uh, we have a big, big election year coming up, so I'm working with some groups uh, preparing uh, for that election, mm-hmm. and um, and uh, we are we are excited. I mean, so I you know I obviously was also a delegate for President Biden um, in, and supported him and was excited to see him win. I, I think he's done a wonderful job six months, two days into his term. And um, he, uh, I think he surprised a lot of people. I, I think people expected a uh, small ball presidency, but he, he's been the, one of the most transformational leaders six months in. And, and God, you know, what a welcome change from what we have.
0: Well, voting legislation has been in the news since the 2020 election. Lots of controversy centered around things like voter suppression, restrictions, state rights, civil rights. We don't hear uh, much about Tennessee in these discussions anyway. For one reason, I think um, because we haven't had any changes in our voting laws. And also because Tennessee voters, in my opinion, are already very restricted. Um, I said on an earlier podcast this year that when I heard that Sunday voting and absentee ballot boxes were being eliminated in Georgia, I didn't even know there was such a thing because we don't have that in rural Tennessee. Um, So, Chris, our current administration feels like the government should make our right to vote easier, consistent, fair, equal, and for the people. So let's talk about HR one and see specifically how it could benefit Tennesseans. I'm going to start with modernizing voter registration.
1: And um, I think that's the biggest thing that we really see is uh, the voter registration laws. What's so frustrating about them is, um, the, in Oregon, for example, they have automatic registration, and that was what HR would do. HR one would do across the country, and basically that means that people who are eligible to vote don't have to reassert their eligibility to vote. Simply, when you turn 18, um, you uh, you are automatically uh, registered to vote. Um, when I turned 18 in the state of Tennessee, um, I signed up for selected service, which is uh, basically to register for the United States military service in, in the event of a draft. And um, that it should be easier to vote than joining the United States military and being eligible for a draft. So the idea is that 18, you simply become eligible to vote. Um, and this is not in any way um a difficult issue. It actually makes things, the administrative burden on the state of Tennessee easier. If you look, the administration made pretty clear, if you look at what the vast majority of resources, energy, that is spent on at the state and local level. So in Tennessee, and the way we do it, like most states and municipalities, is we register at the county level. If you go talk, I'm a resident of Rutherford County. If you go talk about the output they put in day in and day out for their actual jobs, the vast majority of the paperwork that they deal with has nothing to do with the electoral politics whatsoever. It has to do with registering to vote. Um, that the the amount of time we spend on something that is frankly unnecessary is an is an administrative bureaucratic uh, hindrance, mm-hmm. and it's also more importantly a hindrance to our god given right to vote. It's um, the most sacred duty and uh, civic responsibility that Americans have, and um, we we the, the data that the administration's put out suggests that approximately about 15% of Americans have attempted to vote without registration, being registered to vote. So if you can imagine, if you had a 15% increase in voters, um, that would be a wonderful thing uh, for for the state of Tennessee, for the United States at large. And I think one of the things that I just want to, for the Republicans listening in, I think that one of the things that there's a falsehood out there, that essentially, if you increase the electorate, that somehow... The political landscape dramatically shifts one way or the other, and you know I wish it would. I wish that if we had 100% voter participation in Tennessee, that I'd be United United States Congressman. But the reality of it is, Tennessee is a conservative state, um, and Fourth Congressional District is a conservative district. If we had 100% voter participation, I don't. I do not think it fundamentally changes uh, the the political makeup of the state of Tennessee. But what I do think it changes is actually the quality of representatives that you get in there. Um, the the only reason that we don't have sane gun laws is because we have a broken democratic system. Um, the will of the people is not actually um, is not actually fulfilled in the legislative process right now, and I think a lot of that is due to uh, systemic inequalities, particularly around access to the ballot box. Well, that
0: and 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 money and campaign finance and we're going to talk a little bit about about that uh the big donors get the action get the attention right so and and their needs are different than ours well i think that's the thing
1: about it i used to do fundraising in washington dc for a brief amount of time and i'm not gonna name names Uh, he's actually on our side of the aisle um and there was a united states Senator, a democrat um who um was a heavy fundraiser a good man He's a a lion in the Senate. He's been there for longer than I've been alive, and um, I was helping him fundraise back in. Oh, uh, been almost a decade now. And um, he said to me, a remarkable statement that he he meant as a throwaway line, but it, it stuck with me for a long time. We were we were going through call lists, and he was doing calls from his local community, trying to get uh, get up funds for his reelection um, coming up in about eighteen months from the time we talked. And I give him a name, and this donor gave $250. And the the U.S. senator said to me, he said, I do not talk to anyone (laughs) for less than than $5,000. And it was a remarkable statement because it communicated to me how broken the worldview of someone can become if the only people that you have interaction with are those who can dish out 5k to talk to yeah. you. Yeah. It, 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 it colors your worldview in such a broken way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes you, I think a, a, a I'm going to use colorful language, a piss poor legislator. You're just not connected to the reality on the ground. And I think that, uh, I think that is, I think that's hurt. Um, the ability uh, uh, of our legislators to be uh, um, tethered to reality, tethered to the constituents, tethered to the people, Um, on the ground to the the people who actually vote as well. And so I think one of the exciting things, there's been many different ways that HR ones, uh, there's been many different uh, suggestions about how we can go forth on the campaign finance piece. But the biggest thing is that every American could actually have the ability to invest in campaigns of their choice. Um, And, you know, one of the proud things I think I can't remember exact number, I raised about, $370,000, Three hundred seventy thousand dollars. I can I think that I might be over. Uh, over the average donation, to my campaign was thirty-seven dollars, and we had we had donors from every state in this country. But more importantly, to me as a Tennessean, from every every county in the state of Tennessee. And so I, you know, win or lose, I felt that my campaign was actually fueled by people working on the ground every day, Tennesseans who cared about their community, cared about their state and wanted to see something different. But I think I think if I had gotten elected, um, I would have been beholden to the 5,000K folks, or 5K five, five K checks I've been beholden to the voters, um, to to the people who actually voted for me and fueled my campaign. Mm-hmm. I think the best legislators that I see in the country are those who have the smallest checks written to them. They seem to have, uh, you know, I'm Catholic, I like to call quote, quote Francis, I, they, they seem to have a, 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 a uh, mentality from below a praxis of understanding the world from the grass and not from the stars right. and so um i think that that is something that I, I would like to see change and i think i think what would be great is, is that every american taxpayer can write a check to the campaign the campaign of their choice and we can all be able to invest in people we like in our communities
0: yeah well let me let me just get back to the voter registration um, because I know that I've talked to a lot of people in rural areas that they just now have to go to the DMV, but they're not a veteran. And um, the DMVs are few and far between. Sometimes they have funny hours. They may have long lines. Uh, you may get there uh, and you may not have the correct document. I mean, it's an all day thing. And the same thing for students. There was some uh, bills proposed here in Tennessee this last legislative session to let students use IV uh, um, college IDs, but also um, for information to go to the high school kids, the 16 and 17 year olds. You know that that was all uh, take taken out. But if it were automatic, you would just you would just go and vote. You Could go some to any. Any um, government agency, a public university, Social Security, um, DMV, um, and if, if it was still to register, you could you could do that, and then you could go vote with this legislation if this bill were to go through. Yes,
1: yeah, so I think the thing about it is like the, the question of election security. It, it's a um, it's it's a it's a cry it's a boy cry wolf situation. Um, there is minuscule amounts. I know the former president would disagree, but he's wrong. There's a minuscule amount of voter fraud in this country. If you have to think, let's think about the mindset for a moment. Of someone who wants to commit voter fraud, you actually have to go through a lot of channels, and you have to do a lot, and you're going to get caught. We the the Department of Justice thinks approximately 80 to 85 percent of folks who commit intentional voter fraud in this country get indicted. So you don't get away with it. You don't get away with it in this country, and so. You know, there's different proposals about HR1 within the context of identifications, but I think one of the things that really bothers me is, you know, I ran one of the most rural congressional districts on the face of the earth, um, and you know very well um, we talk about VMBs for a second. Well, there's no worse there's no worse day that you can spend in the state of Tennessee than at the Department of Motor Vehicles. Um, it, it's underfunded, poorly staffed, as you said, it's an all day experience. And um, I think that I think that is a, a great um, impediment to to um, to participate in the electoral process. Um, I, it's not something it's not something that uh, people want to spend all day doing. And it's amazing to me that it takes that we that we make the, the steps so difficult to simply participate in the most fundamental right that you have in this country it, it, the, um, the the right to vote. Should be the one of the e- easiest rights to access. Um, and right now, in the state of Tennessee, it's easier to get a firearm than it is to get a an ID to vote. It's a quicker process. I can go to Walmart and get a gun more quickly than I can re-register in a new community and vote. And that you know, and and um, that makes you makes you wonder for a minute, like how come how come we can uh, uh, exercise our Second Amendment rights much more easily than? Our first amendment rights. And I think that we have got to reconsider our priorities. And once again, I for all the Republican hoopaloo about oh, this is going to unearth the socialist of the woods of Tennessee and, and make Tennessee inevitably blue. Trust me, I've been through the backwoods of Tennessee for the past three years. I've stepped foot in all 95 counties. If every Tennessean on God's green earth voted, it would not change the fundamental dynamics of the state. So the question you have to wonder is, what are they afraid of? Why are we afraid to let our citizens vote? Um, I think one of the fears, if I can be frank, I think one of the fears is that when, when, when you look at primaries, oftentimes a Republican primary tends to be a competition in the mud. How, how horrible can we get? What's the worst things that can come out of our mouth? Can we can we can we go to the lowest common denominator? And that's because those are actually tend to be in the state of Tennessee. Think about it; they're on the first Thursday in August in the middle of the summer. Um, they're usually sparsely attended affairs. I think what's interesting about it is I actually think that if we had easier voting processes, the Republican electorate would actually get a little bit more moderate. I think that I think it would open up a pathway for folks in the middle on, on the other side of the aisle. Um, which, you know, has seen, seemingly crumbled for a long time, um, at least in my time in the state of Tennessee, um, it gives them a chance to participate.
0: The rural people, the older, the working people, the busy moms that can't get away and, and the, you know, things happen, then they they don't vote. The other thing, you look at all this trouble that people have to go to to register to vote, and then, you know, especially if you move, um, is that you can go through all that and, Get to the polling place and you've been purged. Do you want to tell us what what purging is?
1: Yeah, purging is actually a very interesting uh, reality that we have in Tennessee. I'll give you an example for myself. So I, so um, pretty much purging is an attempt by, I believe, every off year. So in 2019, 2021, 2023, they'll go through a list of automated systems to think to conclude that you are no longer eligible to vote. So um, the best example I have is post office forwarding. And let me just tell you how absurd this is. Let's say that I travel for work, as I do, to Washington, D.C. And I get a two-week mail forwarding to a post office box in Washington, D.C. Or let's say that I go on vacation. Uh, And I say, you know what, I'm going to forward the mail to my grandmother in Ohio so that she can hold on to the mail. What the state of Tennessee does is they take that mail forwarding from the United States Post Service, like publicly available information, they connect it to your residence and they'll they'll mail you a letter, usually in the spring. And they'll say, we have evidence that you no longer reside as a citizen in the state of Tennessee. And we are going to proactively remove you from the voter list if you do not respond with an affidavit, which often in some counties, you actually have to go get notarized. Can you imagine that? And a lot of the rural counties, you have to get it notarized Um, and affirm um, affirm, uh, 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 um, that you are a citizen, a resident of Tennessee. And purging is a great way to screw over voters who do not participate heavily, but show up every two or four years or every eight years. Um, And I think what, once again, just kind of the, the whole framework is, Usually, the the less participatory voters, those who show up once every four years, maybe once every eight years, once every six, once every two years, they tend to be more sane. Uh, they they don't view politics as a blood sport. Um, they you know they 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 live their lives as Tennesseans, and they they you know they pay attention to the news, and they're good people. Um, they participate in their community, but they're not obsessed with politics. It's not some it's not some fanatical sporting event, um, and they tend to be. I, I say as respect more discerning, more thoughtful and what we have what's I, happened is did those people get purged?
0: Yeah they, they may not have voted but you know the, uh, uh, apparently the system for doing this is flawed, but um, there are you know veterans that fought for our rights and our freedoms um, that show up and they're told they can't vote. I mean that's that's a big slap in the face. you know another uh, another way that votes, of regular people get thrown out is with uh, absentee ballots. Um, H.R. 1 proposes a lot of strengthening of voting, uh, voting by mail. Uh, What a mess. Um, Tennessee was one of five states that wanted an excuse to vote absentee. And they were actually uh, forced to allow concern about COVID exposure as a reason. That's in the middle of a pandemic that, um, but across the nation, so many ballots were thrown away for little things, the wrong envelope. It didn't get there in time. Um, again, for rural voters, wouldn't this be nice if you had the ballot just sent to your home, you could vote when you had a minute? You could you know, look up the candidates and fill in the blank and then uh, it's postage paid. and then you go down to the post office or if you're lucky enough to have a absentee ballot box, you just slip it in there. Easy, peasy. It'd be so great. For working people that um, have the same hours as the polls are open.
1: <laughs> sure, well, it's it's remarkable. Uh, in, in the fourth congressional district, um, I remember receiving the data that approximately a, approximately a quarter of a million people in the fourth congressional district received prescription drugs by mail. So it you know the, 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 the you know. Um, the willingness to, you know, to get your your Medicare, or Medicaid prescription drugs, your private health care insured drugs um, by mail. So there's been a history, uh, a, a great, a great, uh, uh, um, a great honoring the solemnity of the United States Postal Service. So it, it seems to me that, um, you know, the, the previous president, the former guy, as we call him, um, he he tried to denigrate and, and defang the United States Postal Service. And it's remarkable to me because, it, once again, what's so what's so interesting politically about this is the people that use the United States Postal Service tend to be older, they tend to be rural, and they tend to be conservative. Let me just put it this way. They didn't vote for Joe Biden in, in large numbers. And so I and I do not understand why, 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 uh, why, what, what, politi- why they're politically scared. But it make it easy on folks. They, they get, they get prescription drugs by mail. So that, you know, we trust the postal service. It's a official act of government that it's actually a constitutionally protected as uh, service of the federal government. Um, so I, I think absolutely, Tennessee actually. We I think she, I actually would say we actually do pretty good on the amount of hours that we allow for in-person
0: yeah, early have, voting. We do have early voting. We at least have that. Uh, some states, we do. Some states here of, uh, of late want to cut that back. You know, that's a, that's a little tactic to, to decrease voting. You know, um, we also have the technology for absentee ballots that um, track the ballot and confirm that it arrived. And yeah. if, if and you still wanted to go to that polling place, your lines would be shorter.
1: I mean Absolutely.
0: that's part of HR 12 to minimize wait times at the polls. You know, I voted in Franklin County um, last year, and um, you know, now that we have cell um, cell phones, iPhones, and we can, it, it, the time goes a little bit quicker. But this line stretching around the the um, the main polling place there in in uh, Winchester, wound around and around. I had volunteered to be a poll worker, and we got into the Uh, room there was like three people checking in voters and one per two two polling boxes two booths you know and in bigger cities I guess it's just unbelievable um, uh, days to take a day off leave your kids leave whatever business you have to do and send the whole day in line voting you could just do it at home it's just
1: it's you know and I think what's interesting about it is what what, what we what one of the things that the HR one does is is actually increases funding for for um, voter protection services and voter integrity services. So basically, poll workers in the state of Tennessee are I think in most jurisdictions volunteer positions. They mm-hmm. they do skew they do skew elderly, which I think can be perhaps a concern for some regarding the security. But one of the things that HR one does is guarantees a, a, a federal holiday. The, the United States would have a federal holiday on the second, or I'm sorry, on the uh, first Tuesday after the first Monday in November. I think I got my constitution right there. Um, and, 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 and makes it a federal holiday. And so what that ensures is that, um, that it professionalizes this activity. So, you know, um, if, if you're of working age or you're of student age, you can't really participate in the poll watching activities or, you, you know, um, working the, working the election booths, et cetera, because, um, you work for a living. So if we can do things to ensure that we have more people actually participating in the civic act of protecting and, 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 and uh, and, um, hastening and, and um, expediting, um, the ability to vote in this country, it's a wonderful thing is once again, it ensures that people who are not a uh, round that are not heavy participators in politics can still participate in it. Um, you know, we need an American political system that that basically uh, flattens the playing field to ensure that you don't have to be a avid consumer of of MSNBC or Fox News or CNN or, or uh, you know uh, the the. Political um, uh, windfalls of the day to participate in the democratic system. And That's good for the country. Um, it, it, this is not a this is not a um, activity of the elite. It should not be the activity of the wealthy. It should not be the activity of simply those who have the means to do so. What we really need to do is flatten the playing field so that every citizen um, can can exercise you know exercise their God-given right to participate in democracy's the most sacred act. And that's all HR one's trying to do. And you know I think. I, you know, I follow this pretty closely. I did not think on after, even after we won the Senate that this had much of a chance of happening. I feel pretty confident. If you look at the president's agenda, um, I think that HR won in some form. Um, my party's not gonna get everything we want. Um, we know that. But the, the basic tenets that I think are so important, I think we're gonna get it. And obviously we're gonna do so over and above the objections of our two senators. Um, my United States congressman, but I think, I think we're going to get the vote to make this happen. So I think it should be exciting for Tennesseans. And we didn't really talk about gerrymandering, but um, I don't know if you want to go into that at all. I don't know what, how much time you have left.
0: Well, um, let me just uh, have uh, say two statistics here. I just can't help myself. Um, I have from the Brennan Center um, that if we modernized voter registration uh, with automatic uh, voter registration, we could add as many as 50 million new eligible voters to the polls. That's the largest enfranchis- enfranchisement since the 19th Amendment was ratified. The largest wow. increase. And then, of course, when women were given the right to vote. Um, what if we restored voting rights to people with prior convictions? Um,
1: well, in Tennessee uh, has one of the highest conviction rates in the country. I believe I believe the statistic is one in seven Tennesseans have been charged with a crime. And so instead of 15% of our electorate,
0: Right, well, this says um, 3.2 million people, okay, so we have, um, we deny, state laws deny 4.5 million citizens the right to vote because of a criminal conviction, 3.2 million of whom are no longer incarcerated. In addition, though, Tennessee takes away the right to vote willy-nilly for people who have not made restitution to their victims, that's paying their victims uh, for any, um, I guess, injury or property, Um, involved in the crime but also if they're not current with child support um, also uh, they're making the legislators legislature is making less minor offenses um, a felony now i i I don't want to be misunderstood i think all those i i think felonies are big ones big ones murder i mean rape you know battery assault those are all bad things, but we have a system in which we allow um, people to make um, amends uh, for that. And that's their sentence. And when they've completed that, they should be able to have this right um, reinstated. And it shouldn't be a costly or complicated uh, process. I also think that, yeah, people that do wrong to another person or not current with child support, um, there should be that's not good. That they, I'm not saying they should be, you know, that should all be forgiven. But come on, you're going to take away their right to vote. Their well, I think what's I, what, I think
1: what's I think interesting about it is that um, though, so the the ability to so once again in Tennessee, um, if you commit a crime, you do for a period of time lose lose your right to bear arms, Second Amendment. But in state of Tennessee, once again, it is easier to regain your rights to bear arms if you're a convicted. So in Tennessee right now, it's easier to um, reinstate the right to bear arms even if you're convicted of violent crime than it is if you committed a tax crime. So let me put it this way. A bookkeeper steals $50,000 from uh, her employer when she's 25 years old. She gets three years in jail. It's impossible in Tennessee because of the felony statute that crime and the amount of money for her to get the right to vote in her sixties. She never can vote again in this state. But if 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 a man is convicted uh, convicted of rape at twenty five, and he gets ten years in prison, as soon as he gets out, he can get a gun. Cause that, so he looks at the priorities of the state of Tennessee. It, it, it makes you wonder. Makes you wonder. You know, did, did we have these archaic systems. That, uh, you know I don't think the intentionality was necessarily there, but it creates outcomes that are fundamentally absurd um mm-hmm. there There should be a right especially for nonviolent offenders which the vast majority of convictions in this state are nonviolent the vast majority of them are in regards to in regards to money or in regards to uh, the, the, the disputes uh, uh that are of nonviolent nature and and it should be easier it should be easier for those folks to regain their right to vote then it should be for violent offenders to regain their rights to have weapons. Um, and so we have, to, we have to. when we start talking about criminal justice reform, we need to start looking at priorities and how we're doing this. You know, Governor Lee, God bless him, he uh, holds the Bible up with one hand and, and then denigrates everything that stands for the other hand. He talks, about, he talks about criminal justice reform, and we haven't moved an inch on this, but we are one of the hardest states to regain your right to vote for nonviolent crimes in this state. And so I think that this is a good example of, of how um, we could build that more just and perfect union that our, our, our founders talked about, but also, too, to fulfill one of the central tenets of President Trump's term. He talked about criminal justice reform being a centerpiece, and Governor Bill Lee. He said criminal justice reform wanted to be one of his top priorities when he was elected like governor uh, two and a half years ago. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, well, he's been having some trouble getting the legislature to go along with him. Um, Chris, do you, want, do you want to talk briefly about gerrymandering? Just what it is and... Sure, well, and I think
1: um, the only thing I'll, I'll, I'll keep it simple, gerrymandering is an unfortunate word because in politics we like to create these big words to, to, um, to make ourselves sound smart and, uh, and it complicates things. Gerrymandering is simply drawing a map to your political advantage and not drawing an electoral map to the regional geographic and cultural realities. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, I live in the fourth congressional district. The very top of my district is Laverne, Tennessee. Laverne is predominantly a uh, brown and black community on the fringes of Nashville. Um, if, if you scoot over about 230 miles, you get to the other end, of the state uh, of my state, which is Meigs County, Decatur. There are more people in Laverne and five square miles of Laverne than seventy-five square miles of Meigs County. Meigs County and Laverne have nothing in common. They're in different time zones. They're in different. They're in different geographies. They're in different topographies. But you know what? Um, they're a good map to get a Republican reelected. Um, when I ran for United States Congress, I had to. I had to walk, I had to, I had to traverse from 16 counties across two time zones, uh, uh, five media markets um, uh, and different realities. And what, what it does is it ensures that the power structure of the majority stays in. But I'll be honest with you, Sandy, in the 1990s and the early 2000s, uh, our party was the Jerry Vanders. We did the same thing. We did the exact same thing when we controlled the state. Um, we, we need maps that are fair. We need maps that are consistent. And you know what? Competitive elections are good for the country. Competitive elections, once again, we talked about this uh, consistently. It ensures that the extremes do not, do not uh, um, become the, the governing majorities. Um, because what's, what's happened is there's been such polarization in this country. So you have folks that represent the most fringe, lunatic theories, on God's green earth, getting elected because they're running in districts that are so safe. And so I think what we have to do is we if we draw districts that represent the local realities, geographic realities on the ground, there'll be more competitive elections. Look, the Republicans can draw very friendly lines uh, for that because Tennessee, no matter how you dice it, it's a Republican state. Um, You know, God willing, it's not going to always be a a Republican state, but it is right now. But what they can do is ensure that a doctor from South Pittsburgh who goes up to Murfreesboro, Tennessee, once every five years is not their congressman. You know, um, we've got to we've got to have we've got to have congressional districts, state districts that are not just simply uh, drawn for political gain, but are drawn to represent the realities of the community. And HR one would ensure that uh, gerrymandering is pretty much done away with. That there would be a um, non-partisan group that comes together. Somewhat non-partisan, there's still some partisan aspects to it, but the end result would be less crazy lines. I I encourage everyone to go Google the Tennessee 4th Congressional District and ask yourself, why is the map drawn this way? And the answer is clear. (laughs) Yes. It's
0: like a croissant. It is. It's very squishing out the Eastern side. It's pretty
1: bad. It's pretty bad. I love the people, but I tell you what, I, I honestly experienced three different states every day. It was just different realities for folks. It's just not one, it's not one contiguous community.
0: Let, let me just summarize what HR1 I thought was important for our discussion today, and that was to make voting easier, modernizing voter registration with automatic online registration, same day registration and voting, eliminating uh, purges. This would all be better. Um, for Tennessee, Tennesseans to get to the polls to make a difference, um, you know, mail mail in ballots. You know, we um, got kind of used to, to shopping online and getting everything sent to us, whether it be Amazon or FedEx or the US Postal Service. Uh, now we're kind of coming back up on, Problems with this COVID virus, we could be in the same boat again for future elections. So let's get that straightened out. Let's have some transparency um, and and um, consistency and fairness in our um, in our voting process. This doesn't have to be such a hassle. I mean, Amen. we talked about you um, talked about you know gun legislation uh, and bills that have passed laws you know, that was to make it easier for us to get guns, whether we want them or not, I guess. So why would we jeopardize our, our right to vote? Why would we not want it to be um, consistent? And I think that, um, I don't think we can trust the states. You know, that one thing we didn't talk about was the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. That sure. is trying to reinstate the Voting Rights Act of 1965, where a lot of states in the South you know, had these, you know, if you, if you watch any movies about the civil rights movement, you know, um, black people weren't allowed to vote. They'd be, they'd have to, they'd have to answer a quiz. They'd have, to, I mean, it's just ridiculous requirements. And they kind of lost their rights to do voting the way they wanted to because it wasn't fair, it wasn't right. Um, well now, for some reason, I think because we had a black president the Supreme Court thought all that racism and all that controversy and angst was gone, and we're right back at it with states being unfair and passing ridiculous legislation. So, um, you know, we need to to um, learn more about HR one. Contact our legislatures about it. I know that's hard. <laughs> <laughs> It's so frustrating, but um, we need to talk with family members, friends, neighbors, our kids that are getting ready to vote. You know, I think this is an area it's really hard to uh, work across the aisle. But I think this is a topic, Chris, that people can say, you know, remember, you know, remember when you had to stand in line, you know, last year to vote and you didn't know whether to wear your mask or not go or whatever? wouldn't it be great if you just did it at home. Mm-hmm. And as
1: a lead-in to, to HR one, um, and while it and what it does is it makes politics easier to participate in. That's all it is. It's all it's making it easier to participate in. And you know, I, I've said before, the voters of Tennessee, I guess now in four elections um, at this point, and I can't imagine, I can't imagine a elected official who does not want a heavier participatory process because what it does is it validates the the um, their mandate. Um If you, if you win an election where you have 85% of the people turning out, you know that you represent the majority of the sentiments of that community and your election actually means more. You, right. you actually govern, you actually govern with a, a higher moral authority than when you had these midterm elections we have with yeah. 35% turnout.
0: Well, you know, um, Tennessee has a low voter turnout and sure. who's blamed for that? The voter, right? Voter yeah. apathy, okay. You know, because it's always easier to blame the individual, isn't
1: it? Sure. No, yeah. and well, you know, it, it's remarkable. You know, the average working week in the state of Tennessee is not 40 now. It's about 52 hours, according to uh, the latest data that came out, a uh, study earlier this year. And we're putting the onus on families who have jobs and kids, et cetera, to, to really, um, to, it's almost as bad as private health insurance, to really um, work through an archaic system that that is is that is as stands against them at every turn, and so it's making it's it's creating a really unfortunate situation, a situation where, really, uh, you know, uh, our opponents claim to be the pro-family party, but really, the more invested you are in your family, your kids, community, the harder it is to participate in democracy's greatest act.
0: Well, the other thing is, is if I'm the Secretary of State or a government um, office or a legislator or a governor. And I can blame you for not voting. I get to just throw up my hands and say, well, it's their fault. It's their right not to vote. It's harder to admit a policy is bad and, inju- and, and that an injustice hasn't occurred because what do you, you have to do something. You have to go to work.
1: Yeah, no, it's, ab- <laughs> it's absolutely true. Well, I hope to be there when the president signs HR1. I don't know if it'll be this year. I, I hope it is. We're working first obviously on this infrastructure bill, but I, you know, I think that, I think that it's important that the people of Tennessee, the people of the South, people, the country understand what it will do uh, to make um, our democracy work better. Think the federal government is simply a backstop to ensure that people's basic rights are being met. The states will still run the elections. Those will just have higher standards to meet. Yeah.
0: Okay, Chris. Well, I think we covered a big topic as best as we could. I thank you very much.
1: Yeah, appreciate it, and I hope to see y'all soon. And I hope, uh, I hope uh, summer is treating you well.
0: And if you need a, you know, letter of recommendation, <laughs> I,
1: I will. You just I let will me make sure, a <laughs> I'll, I'll give you a call.
0: All right, thanks, Chris. Thank you, Christopher Hale, talking to us about HR one. Um, this has been what about us with another interesting topic for you to mow over and share. What about us as part of the Tennessee. Holler Podcast Network, go to TennesseeHoller.com and sign up for everything you can.